this session, we discuss sibling therapy, the practices of tracking sibling ghosts from early childhood that affect their adult lives, and ways therapists can incorporate this into their practice. Welcome to the AFTA Podcast. I am Naveed Zamani and I am your host. In this session, I'll be speaking with Dr. Karen Gail Lewis. Dr. Lewis has been an MFT for over 50 years. She is a teacher and trainer of MFTs around the country. She is the author of books on adult siblings, single women, marriage, gender communication, and group therapy. She also presents nationally and internationally on these same topics. She created unique retreats for siblings. Karen, thank you so much for joining us. As always, I'd like to ask the question, what has been drawing your attention in your work these days? Well, since my new book just came out, I'm very self-centered. <laughs> and what's drawing my attention is um, my book, um, Sibling Therapy. Um, and it is, the reason it's drawing my attention, and the reason I wrote the book for therapists is because I am seeing so many people who are coming to me with sibling issues um, far more than ever in the past. And it's just sort of like maybe since the pandemic, um, I'm getting three to five calls a day sometimes of, of referrals for people asking for help with their siblings. So that is clearly, um, at least in the professional world, drawing my attention. Yes. Well, congratulations on your new book. I believe you Thank can... You. People can buy it on Amazon and anywhere you might be able to purchase books. Um, with that said, uh, Karen, I wonder if you could maybe share a little bit more about what do you mean by sibling issues? Like, especially for someone like myself, I can imagine a whole lot of stuff from my personal to professional world. But yeah. <laughs> well, the the subtitle of the book is "The Ghosts from Childhood That Haunt Your Clients' Love and Work." And so what I mean by the, the sibling relationship significance is, is those four, there are four ghosts that I talk about. Most people are only aware of the siblings that they're born with, um, that their brothers and sisters who came from their parents or their step parents or whatever. Um, but these are the siblings we have from childhood. What happens is over the years when we become adults, these siblings become the siblings from childhood become frozen in our images, either positively or negatively. Uh, that's one of the ghosts, the, the frozen image. Uh, so that, for instance, my brother, um, who when he wasn't being wonderful and loving to me, was really mean. Um, and every now and then, even though I'm much older now, we're both in their 70s, 80s, when he has that look on his face, I get that same clamp feeling inside that I did as if I was still a child because he still froze that look and that sense of him is still frozen inside. Nowadays, I have to tell myself, wait a minute, he may just have gas pains. You know, it may have nothing to do with being angry at me. Uh, but frozen images are, are how we see our siblings still, even though we have changed over the years how we still hold on to how we saw them as when we were much younger. That, so that's the first ghost. Uh, the second one is a crystallized role. And maybe in your parent, your family, you know, do you, do you have siblings? I do have a younger sister. Okay. So you probably know that with the roles that were, I talk about is as roles were basically unconsciously assigned by parents uh, uh, the smart one, the cute one, the the athletic one, the musician, or whatever. Um, and those roles are, it's fine that they're roles that happen in all families. You know, kids get identified that way by parents and then by each other. But what sometimes happens is they get crystallized. And I was the baby. In my family, I was the cute 
I had two older brothers, so I was cute and the baby. And it gets crystallized so that I, until I worked on, on, understood all this, I carried that same image of me. And my brothers carried that same image of me, of being cute and the, the little one. Um, and all that can change, of course. But as we get older, as we leave childhood and move into adulthood, and then into mid-years and even later years, those crystallized roles could still be there. And they can impact, for instance, if my brother still tried to treat, treat me like a little, the little one, uh, the little girl, I get very angry. <laughs> I don't like that. Um, in the same way, they don't like when I treat them the way that I saw them when they were, when we were all back then. So the first ghost is the frozen image. The second ghost is the crystallized uh, roles. The third um, ghost is, and this is a little bit more complicated, the unhealthy loyalty. We siblings often have and and often have a loyalty to the roles that we were that we were all assigned. So that in a family, if I'm thinking of a woman I saw recently, uh, Monique, I'll call her, um, was the, was the smart one, but Sarah was the, I had it backwards. Sarah was the smart one and Monique was the cute one, the cute, young, playful comedian. I think she was in adulthood though. Sarah, who was the smart one and was supposed to be the most successful, was having a hard time in her career. And Monique had a very hard time with, until she realized what was happening, she was holding herself back. She was depressed. She came in. Actually, I saw her for individual therapy. She came in because she was depressed. And we can talk about how I tie these together later. But when I asked her about her sibling and found out that she was supposed to be the cute one and who would just sort of go along and have a good time, but now here she was more successful, had the potential of being more successful than her sister. What had happened is she was holding herself back. She turned down a promotion she thought she turned down the promotion because she didn't like the hours, but later when she, as we were talking about it, she realized she turned down the hours because I shouldn't be more successful than Sarah. And that's what I call unhealthy loyalty. And that's a loyalty or commitment to these roles that were unassigned or unconsciously assigned by parents. Yes. Okay. Yes. Fascinating. And then the fourth ghost is one that um, I call sibling transference that siblings bring their frozen images and their crystallized roles into their adult lives. I mean, they're there. They live inside of us, and they're in their adult lives. And I like to think of this in terms of um, sometimes we, I say, sibling, uh, did you marry your sibling? Because we have transferred the positive or the negative frozen images onto our love life. And our choice of lovers and behaviors that feel very familiar to us in our first, when we were children. Um, when we see those same kind of interaction behaviors with adults in our love, in our adult life, they feel familiar, which is another way we, we often, as therapists, we know that a lot of People who uh, came from a violent home marry a, a violent um, partner or a partner with someone who's violent. And we typically talk about it in terms of you, know, you marry your father or whatnot. I think of it in terms of we marry our siblings mm. and that it's familiar. It's the sibling interaction. My, my brother was treating me in a certain way. It's familiar. So now that I am in a, a love relationship, it's familiar again. I choose someone where it's familiar. And one reason, the difference between cho uh, we marry our, our, our parent, our, our mother or our father, as opposed to marrying our siblings, 
siblings are on a are a first peer relationship. Parents are of a different generation. They are in a hierarchy. You know, there are parents. Um, siblings are our peers, and we marry typically not a hierarchy. We marry on a peer level. Um, and so I often think about childhood as being, and I'm talking about early childhood now, yeah. as being our first marriage. It's when we learn or don't learn to fight cleanly or dirty, <laughs> to um, you know, uh, fight and learn to make up and have fun again or not, be able to speak up for ourselves or not, get pushed around or not, use our power. Usually there's an age, there always is an age, unless you're twins, age, age, age differential. Um, but you can still, even the younger ones has power. The power may not be physically, it can be tattling, <laughs> manipulation. So whatever the relationship style that you had with your siblings in your first marriage is what becomes familiar and shows up in adult relationships. And that's what I call the, the sibling transference, which can happen in love relationships. And it can, you can also have sibling relationships with friendships and it work. Those are the four ghosts. Oh, I so appreciate you sharing that. So I'm just so drawn and fascinated by this. Let me know if I'm capturing some of this correctly, that like, as you're attending to sibling issues, and as folks, correct me if I'm wrong, as folks are coming in to consult with you, whether they're in an individual context or not, you're inquiring about their siblings or relationship to yes. siblings in that history. So you're kind of bringing in the family, whether or not the family is actually present, like in their physicalness. And then exactly. you have these four ghosts, which in some ways are metaphors related to the ways that the legacies and stories that we hold with our siblings have effects across multiple contexts of our lives. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. And I'm glad you, you mentioned that because I do want to underscore that while I do see now a lot of siblings who come in together and say they want some help because they aren't getting along, um, more often than not, and certainly in my early years, it is I'm seeing an individual or I'm seeing a couple or I'm seeing a family. And I'm hearing these ghosts now that I have a language for it. I'm yeah. hearing one of these one or several of these four things that are blocking, that are stopping the individual or the couple or the family from being successful for whatever they're trying to, the problem they're trying to work on. Right. So I think about, you know, if you're stuck, and that's when I typically go to think about siblings, if I am hearing that the client is stuck and, and or I'm stuck <laughs> in trying to help figure out what's going on, I will ask, so do you have siblings? And Naveed, it is so interesting. Rarely does anyone say, why are you asking me about my siblings in the middle of talking about why they're depressed or why they can't do whatever they answer. And invariably in the way they answer is what I'm beginning to hear. One of these ghosts that are, you know, sort of bubbling under the surface. Cause it has some sort of resonance in their lives or it makes sense in kind of the ways that they're thinking about themselves. Is that fair? Yes. And if, if they don't get exactly, if they don't get the connection, I will say things like, well, you're talking about being stuck in this situation. What would, what would your sister do? Or what would your brother do if he, if, if he weren't here, mm -hmm. if this were his situation? That often leads me to under, to seeing um, unhealthy loyalty, for instance, mm -hmm. or a sibling transference. Um, so it, you know, people are just willing to go with me, um, maybe because maybe they often do that with therapists. You know, you ask stupid questions, so okay, I'll, I'll answer your stupid question, <laughs> not knowing where it's going to take them. <laughs> right. Well, I appreciate something that I'm kind of interpreting you saying is that like you're 
as you're kind of trying to suss out the problem, trying to get into someone's life and kind of assess what's going on, a question about siblings makes visible some histories and some ways that someone might be existing that otherwise might be obscured. Um, and maybe not be not even be asked. I'll be honest, like it's new to me to hear about a kind of a specific question to say, like, let me hear about your siblings. Like, And also, I'm a little shocked at myself that I've it's new to me because it's yeah, especially as someone with a sister, like a sibling. I'm like, yeah, there's so many ways that as you're going through this four ghosts, I could like just name and think of so many contexts in which all those things ring true for me. And uh, <laughs> it is fascinating to imagine the ways that those play out in my adult relationships and the various contexts I go through. Exactly. Yes. And I'm also hearing you say that you're not. Cons- well, let, let me know if this is a correct read that like, for example, the crystallized roles they're not inherently positive or negative that like perhaps there's a way that you're figuring that out with the clients. Exactly. The only thing that is negative is it's crystallized. The role isn't, but it gets crystallized for many years. My brother would call me little Blanche. My mother's name was Blanche. And so he would call me because I was such a good little girl. I did everything my mommy said, told me to do. And for years, he called me Little Blanche, and I get enraged. Um, yeah, so I had to train him uh, to drop that role, <laughs> that role that had got crystallized in his head. Yeah, um, I, I, and in mine for many years, because I was Little Blanche for many years mm-hmm. until it didn't fit, until I, I finally decided it didn't fit. It must be interesting for your siblings to read your work in some ways. You're assuming my, my brothers read my work. <laughs> I guess I am. <laughs> um, I don't know. And as we are close in many, many ways. And we are very, very different in many ways. Yes. And I don't ask about that. Yes, fair enough. <laughs> well, if you don't mind me asking... Um, could you share a little bit about how, um, and in whatever way you prefer, like how do you implement some of this, these ideas into your work with the people that consult you, your clients? Okay. Um, I know that's a very big question, so I don't know if you... Yeah, so I'm, I'm thinking about the best way to, to do it. Because um, I know viol- uh, family violence is one of your interests. Mm-hmm. Um, let me talk about, let me use an example from family violence. Um, because actually in my book, um, sibling therapy, I, I say at the introduction, I'm not using examples in in the book of extreme violence because that just detracts from the points I want to make. But I hear a lot of extreme violence in families. I really do. Um, so A, a family was seeing me, a, f- a set of siblings were seeing me because two of them didn't, didn't talk at all for years. And someone finally said, let's talk to a sibling therapist. And so they, and I said, and said, they wanted just those two who didn't talk. And I said, no, I wanted to see everybody, at least the first time. And then they all stayed after that. Uh, but what I learned was in, and when I start, I always start by saying, um, you know, I ask about the roles that they had in their family. I ask about, um, were you close? One of my other questions, there are about three questions I start with at the beginning. Um, were you, when you were in preschool and early elementary school years, were you close or not close? Because that, mm. if they were close, then no matter how bad things are, have gotten in adult years, the younger, the frozen image of a positive connection with a sibling is still inside, covered over with all the years after that. But we can get back to that. If they were close, I, I talk in terms of we have to create something that was never there. I see. So, so one of the questions is, were you close? Um, what were your roles? And then um, who was each parent's favorite? favorite child because favoritism creates as you probably can imagine uh we all know this all, all of us therapists uh 
problems in the sibling relationship. If if mom favors one child and the yes, that child is lucky to be favored, but loses that child loses the other parent. Yes. And that child loses his or her siblings. So the drawbacks of being a favored child are really significant in my work with siblings. Because they don't know that. Um, okay, so a family comes in, um, a set of siblings, and they talk about how when they were little, their, the parents were really violent, or father was, I'm thinking, getting several families in my mind mushed together. Yes. So when some father was, was very, very violent, uh, others, mother was very, mother was passive, but in other families, uh, the mother would be throwing the iron back at the father. Mm -hmm. um, but whatever it is, it was noisy and loud and scary. Mm -hmm. And typically, and I talk typically, generally, it doesn't mean everyone, but more often than not, the two patterns for the siblings is they are each in their own bedroom with the door locked, their headphones on or whatever, tuning out, totally isolated from each other. Or they have gathered together probably in the oldest one's bedroom with huddled together. And what often happens is what I hear about is the older one is doing things to distract the younger ones. Okay, so let me talk about that family where they're doing things, where the older one is taking charge and really helping okay. them get through this violent stuff. I can go in so many directions with this. Um, when they get to, so the older one is seen as their caretaker. Um, the one who has nurtured them, has been there for them. And as they hit teen years, might see that one is bossy. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. But if they take it, now the older one is bossy, that goes in a different direction into adulthood than if they go and if they still are um, um, so appreciative and of the nurturing that they got and the caretaking from the older one. So in those teen years and um, in the 20s, what happens Though at that period, we'll say something about uh, what their relationship is going to evolve into. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? It does. It does. Okay. So, but let me tell you what may happen for the older one. The older one, by virtue of being older, is going to finish high school first. And then, and this is in, still in the family where the siblings really were uh, bound together with the older one taking care of them. The older one has unconsciously or unconsciously, and often they know this. When we talk about it, they say they didn't have words for it, but they sort of knew it. I have a choice. I can leave and free myself from my destructive, violent parents, which would be great for me and for the responsibility of taking care of the kids, and I can finally have my own life. But if I do that, I feel guilty that I'm leaving them behind with this violence. And if they're only only the two kids, then it's really bad because I'm leaving my only sibling back there to deal with these destructive parents. Mm -hmm. What happens at that point is what shows up in my office because it goes in a number of different ways at this point. But when they get to my office and I ask, what was it like for each of them when your older went away? When or what was it like for the older one when you made the decision to stay? And the resentment. I'm I'm giving up my life because I, I care about my siblings, but then there's underground resentment. Yeah, yeah. That shows up twenty years later in complaining about everything your sister says to you or your brother says to you or whatever. So all those feelings get mushed and and go underground and then show up typically more often than not in the 40s, 50s, and 60s. Those must be some really powerful conversations you're having with people because I imagine, especially in the way you're describing it, as you're having conversations like with 
folks who've kind of been in the trenches with families and violence together. And as they've been kind of navigating and negotiating that in various ways, either from like in their own room with their headphones on to kind of practices of protect, you're kind of uncovering some histories that are maybe lingering into their current ethics, the current stories they hold about each other um, and the ways that they just kind of position in the world, if that's not too dramatic of a way to describe that. Not at all. And that's part of the sibling transference. What you're saying, how they position themselves in the world is part of, can be, not all the time, but can be part of the sibling transference. Yeah. My sister took care of me, so I expect my, you know, my love relationship, my work relationships to take care of me. Or my sister abandoned me, so I can't trust anybody. Yeah. I wonder, too, if people who, are, who would be listening to this um, interview might be experiencing what I'm experiencing, which is me. Now I'm going through my relationship, not just with my own sister, but I'm also like thinking about my parents and their siblings. Well, my aunts and uncles and yes. kind of my observation of their dynamics. And I'm just trying to make sense of my whole family now <laughs> through this lens. And one of the things I always do is I do a multi-generational genogram. Mm. Uh, I don't do that. Well, I should say I don't do this with every family. I do it a lot. But certainly when I do the uh, I do weekend retreats with siblings. And that we have a huge amount of time because we have the whole weekend and we draw out um, three, four, five generations of sibling of, of generations of the family. And I have them track the sibling relationships over the generations. Now, if I can't use a genogram because we don't have the time or the space or whatever, especially now that we're doing virtual, so many virtual sessions. Right. Uh, but I still have them talk about. What do you know about your parents' siblings, your father's siblings, your mother's siblings? What do you know about your grandparents on both sides? And it's absolutely a couple of two sisters I saw just recently who um, were talking about, I never want to see you again. And I said, whatever we were talking about. And one of them said, you know, that's what our mother and our aunt they never talk to each other after mm. a certain point. And I s said, and what do you know about the next generation? Oh, my goodness. And they went back three or four generations of cutoffs. At the end of that session, they said, we've got to fix this because mm. I don't want my kids. And that's the next generation coming. The one sister said, I don't want my, my children not to be connected to each other. So you and I, sis, have got to figure this out. Of course, yeah, we therapists love hearing things like that, and then we just glow inside. I won't tell you about all the failures yet. In my book, though, I do talk about failures. I do. Because I think it's important to understand what didn't work. Yeah, I, I had a question for that, but I wonder if I can pause for that on that for a second, because I'm sure. definitely interested in maybe like cautionary tales. But I'm also now I'm just really drawn my attention is drawn to these sibling retreats. Like you, could you share a little bit about these? Like you said that you have folks kind of come together doing the genogram work and the generational stuff. Naveed, these are so incredible. The, at the end of of my um, my book, I have um, skills for being a, a good a sibling therapist, and that list of what I call the skills came from when I began thinking about all the retreats that I've done, because the retreats are spontaneous. I mean, I always start with the genogram. So I start with something concrete and then I have no idea where we're going after that. Um, but it's, you know, what are the issues and what should we talk about? And, you know, blah, what, what do you hope to get? But is it groups of I'm, siblings or is it you? And oh, siblings? oh, no, just one set of siblings. Okay. But it could be 10 siblings. It could be two. Okay. But I'll tell you about a five, and it just coincidence that I'm talking more about sisters because I see a lot of brothers, and I see a lot of brothers and sisters also. But this one retreat I'm going to tell you because it was mind-boggling of what happened. Um, one woman had it was the one who contacted me in individual work. Actually, that's not true. She contacted me in her marriage. I knew that she was having some problems um, that she had been sexually abused and that was causing problems in the marriage, talking about this. 
I learned about the siblings, and so she decided to have um, to bring them in for a retreat. So they flew in from all around the country. So there were five girls. And she was talking to them. She had never talked to them about her abuse. And she decided she really needed to talk about how father had sexually abused them, oh. her. And one of the other sisters says, oh. and then she started talking about how father had abused her. And then the next one. Wow. So four of them, father had abused four of them. They were talking about that, crying about that, all kinds of things they'd never shared. And then... I don't remember the exact one thing led to another. You know, when groups, it's right. hard to follow, you know, ex track exactly what led to the next thing. But they were talking about how the older sister would never let them when, um, come into her room. When father would be angry at them, they'd want to run to her room for support and um, to get away. And what the older sister then said is, I never let you in my room because I didn't want him to come in because I knew he would abuse me if he came in. The younger ones then were furious at you let us get abused. You knew we were getting abused and you didn't protect us, which of course isn't the older sister's job anyway. It was incredibly powerful. Uh, they ended up deciding they needed to talk to their mother. And how should we talk to her? Father was dead. Mother had always denied to the woman who had originally contacted me that, oh, no, father never abused you. But now four out of the five and the older one knew. So five of the five knew the father abused. Wow. They decided together they were going to talk to mom. But they, I had them think about what would happen. What's the best way to approach her? You know, how do you expect? What do you anticipate would happen if she finds out when you approach her and how you're going to do it? They got very um, sensitive to what was going to be. They decided they were all going to be there together and do it. Wow. I mean, it was absolutely beautiful. And at the end, one of the sisters wrote me and said, wrote me a letter and said, thank you for giving me my sisters back. Wow. Yeah. I'm like speechless. That's amazing. Yeah. Wow. Exactly. Well, given that the work that you do and the work that you're kind of describing presents so much potential and power and history in the stories, uh, I wonder if this might be an opportunity or a moment to share some cautionary tales. Like folks who might, like myself, were like now thinking about a whole, all the possibilities that sibling therapy could, or just kind of inquiring about siblings could bring in. Um, what are some things that perhaps we should keep in our minds, be cautious of? consider great um you know when i started therapy 50 some years ago uh freud and freudian theory was what i learned mm. psychodynamic and a lot of transference and countertransference. i became involved in family therapy back in the early 71 i think uh, and we were not talking about transference and countertransference back then. But I'm going to use that language here because it really is two parts important. They, the siblings, might see you as a parent or they might see you as one of the siblings. Mm -hmm. And you have to be aware of that. Even more relevant, perhaps, is being aware of your own sibling issues. Mm -hmm. I have become, over the years, very comfortable with anger. Um, I had to work on it, but I'm really comfortable with anger, and I really encourage it, particularly for females who have been learned have learned over the years, you know, stuff it or cry. Females tend to cry when they're angry and stuff. Now, I'm not talking about anger, screaming and yelling and throwing things. I'm talking about expressing the feeling of anger. Uh, so I have to teach a little about that. Uh, but if you're not comfortable with anger, when siblings come together, they are really angry. And before the therapy is over, in the beginning of the therapy, they very well may be yelling and screaming at each other. And so one caution is not to shut down the anger. 
but to shape it in, can you say that in a better way? Mm. Can Not to get scared by it, because so often therapists, males and females, um, in all my supervision, I've found that's one thing that's very hard to help therapists uh, with. So help them. It's oh, I hear your anger, but when you scream, he can't hear you. People tend when you're when you're being screamed at, your ears close and you're busy thinking of your response, so you're not hearing. Right. So can you say exactly how angry you are? But can you say it in a soft voice with words so that he can hear you? Um, I also use a lot of of drawings and you know abstract stuff, especially around anger, because people so often have a hard time even putting words to their anger. But in terms of cautionary is being aware of how you feel in dealing with anger, how you yourself feel with anger, because they're not going to be in your office because they love each other. (laughs) Um, So you're going to have a range of ways of siblings expressing their anger. And you have to be comfortable with that. Yeah. So that's that's a, a biggie. Um, another biggie is I have to be careful because I am the youngest. Um, I do tend to be really tuned in to youngest who who may be feeling something similar to the way that I felt. Now, over the years, I also have become really sensitive to the oldest who is, or the problem kid, because my brother for a while was the problem kid, and I always felt bad for him. So I also, as a therapist, have to be really careful that I don't um, get so caught up in taking care of him Mm. or making excuses for him so I'm not seeing or hearing who he really is and what his issues really are. So my own stuff about my role and family, my siblings' roles, um, are another cautionary tale. Yeah, I'm really hearing you kind of um, inviting some responsibility to therapists to kind of manage their own tolerance and kind of their histories and how it shapes their tolerance for anger and distress and conflict and how those might be present in a therapy, therapeutic relationship. Absolutely. And so if, for your beginning in, in working with siblings, I would suggest um, supervision or a supervision group, a peer group, so that you can share some of some of uh, your own feelings as you deal with um, the very polite person who comes in. Yes. Well, I'm very excited. Two very, very, two very, very polite siblings just come in. They sit down and, and I say, um, <laughs> Can I be of help? <laughs> What's the problem? Oh, well, she's, and I can't even think of an example because it's, they're so polite. Yeah. It takes me some time to, to, to get them to, to loosen up a little. So it, you know, it takes all the same skills of being a good family therapist. It takes the skills if you are also a group therapist. You've learned skills as a group therapist that will be really helpful. Yes. This might be a silly question because this no such thing. As, you know, you maybe you know there's no such thing as a silly question. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I'll just ask. I'm I'm curious how um, only children factor into some of this. Do they? Do you just kind of shift gears with only children, or how do they factor in? Well, the, on one hand, I don't. If I ask them, there's siblings, there are no siblings, you know, that's it. And, and we deal with other ways of figuring out what's going on. But often when I say, do you have any siblings? The answer is no, but I have my adopted that I, my best friend or my cousin, Uh, I feel like a sibling. Um, so those relationships get constructed through other, maybe not like blood family, whatever that word is, but yes, there is like a sibling type energy. Yes, and particularly if there are siblings, let me just stick with the number three because that's easier to talk about. If there are two birth siblings and a cousin or a neighbor's, a best, one of their best friends 
comes like a sibling, you now have the rivalry of the one who it's not these the the cousin is the of the same age as one of them. The other one then feels left out. Yes. And so some of the same four ghosts can apply to um, to these what I would call adoptive right. or or kinship siblings. Yeah, I appreciate that. It makes sense to me. And I'll just share if it's okay that like as you were describing this last piece here, I was thinking of um, uh, my my family background is Iranian, and uh, you know in a kind of at least in Iran, there's a kind of a context where kind of around your cousins a lot so the sibling question becomes really expansive in some ways and really fascinating to me and I was, as I was kind of imagining some of the work I do with Middle Eastern refugees um, at least with Arabic speaking and Farsi speaking families I was thinking about the ways that some of the conceptualizations of violence and families often gets rendered through how through patriarchy men are teaching their sons violence and kind of like you know that that story of violence, generational violence. Mm-hmm. Yes. And also the ways that I've experienced back to kind of the ghosts you were talking about and the um, the roles and the unhealthy loyalties, like my observations of sometimes the, again, generalizations here, but like something I've observed anecdotally, ways that mothers are really supportive of their sons. That's like kind of like a pretty strong alignment and how violence gets supported there and reinforces kind of this patriarchal father role, which then gets perpetrated onto the siblings. Um, for example, I'm just thinking about a family that we've been working with who the, it's a long story, but a uh, lo- lot of children, more than six, and father tragically killed mom, mom's dead, father's incarcerated. But some of the um, the assumptions of parenthood are placed on the oldest male sibling. And there's yeah. ways that he's playing out parenthood and doesn't want to but is also performing it in ways that he understands it should be and so i don't know i'm just saying that too because i was just saying that it's making me just think about the ways that like your ideas and conceptualizations are accessing some um culturally nuanced family approaches that i'm really liking thank you and i'm i'm glad you mentioned that because i was going to at some point say that i'm always asked you know, does this fit for, you know, these, this idea that I've come up with over these years, does this fit for, you know, other cultures, for other, for non-whites, you know, for other uh, races and cultures and, you know, low income and whatever. And the answer is yes. I work with, I just figured this out not too long ago. I've worked with uh, siblings from every continent in the country, in the in the world, okay, um, a number of Iranian families, um, mm. and I'm delighted to know that you speak Farsi because I may need to talk to you about that. Uh, someone's fam- mother does not speak English, so we may need some help. Um, but the same, what you just described, as you said, these were families that just came over, and a lot of this, what I'm I've been talking about, you said fits. And that's what has been my experience, whether they're just coming over or whether they came over, the parents came over and the kids are born here. It yes. is still the same, same issue. The parents and their, their, their parenting styles and the, the cultural styles are all different. Right. But what happens among the siblings seems, at least from my experience so far, uh, seems to not, seems to transcend culture and race right yeah and i'll speak from my own experience that like my my uh my parents my family fits the mold that you just described like parents immigrated here and then my my sister and i were born here and while our family in iran is extremely communal right they're like living in the same apartment there's just ton of cousins the movement here constructed a nuclear family setting just by you know you could slice and dice that a million ways but what ended up happening was my mom and dad me and my sister. Fascinatingly, I'm very excited for my sister to listen to this podcast too, because she's also an MFT. Um, and we worked together. <laughs> How lovely. Yeah, we work together in very similar context. So it's it's going to be interesting great. to hear her, what she kind of notices or thinks about as she's imagining some of the ghosts that you described and kind of the crossover there. So 
How lucky you two are. Oh, uh, yeah, I feel very fortunate. I definitely do. Yeah. So I imagine that your book goes through a lot more details, probably in like case studies and kind of like practices and all that stuff. Um, and I'm really excited to check it out myself. Um, and as I've kind of understood through our conversation here, Karen, that you're, as you're doing the sibling work, you're in multiple generations and multiple cultural contexts, like to whatever degree the family structure is arranged. And however, siblings are not only just experiencing each other, but also perceiving um, a generational sibling structure above them. And some mm-hmm. of the, as I understood it, some of the cautionary tales that you, or practices you suggested are kind of good advice, I think, in general. Like, I'm just imagining myself as a father of a four-year-old, inviting the necessary anger of a four-year-old to be considered and shaped into a way that can be heard. Yes. <laughs> um, yes. I just have to ask, like, because it sounds like you've spent a lifetime developing some of these ideas. Um, and as we're kind of wrapping up, I'm just curious, like, what drew you to this work? I, I'm always asked, um, was it my brothers? No, <laughs> it was not. It had nothing to do with my sibling relationship. Angelo came in to a, an individual session, and he'd been in therapy before couple of times and he was still depressed individual therapy with a couple of different therapists over the years. He's still depressed. And one of the things that I know we family therapists know, if um, you've done the same thing before, don't do it again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Um, and a, one of the phrases I learned early on in family therapy is when you get stuck, expand, uh-huh. bring in more. So I said, next week when you come, um, bring someone who knows you really well. And I assumed he'd bring his wife. He brought his brother. I talk about that just um, what happened in the book because it was it is what got me started. I had no idea what was going on um, until I heard them talking about the younger. They gave me the ideas that germinated into the ghosts. Mm. Uh, the frozen images and they they had of each other. It was an Italian family and father, very strict uh, hierarchy that the older son takes over the business. And the older son had what we learned in the session was um, uncomfortable that he was always going to be the big head of the, the family. And so he held himself back. Unhealthy loyalty. Um the younger son felt, you know, I can go into all kinds of stuff and, and more detail is in this, um, in the book, but, but it was this, it was Angelo and Sal, obviously made up names, but Italian names because it was definitely an Italian family. Um, and that's what, that's what got me started. But before we end, I do want to say we often people talk about the bossy, the, the, the issues of my sibling was bossy and that's what the, one of the stuffs going on is my bossy sister. That might be me. That's might be might be how my sister describes me. So, <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, but there's something that no reason. And there's been research on bossy on siblings and the bossy one. No one, as far as I could find, and I I had a researcher do some research for me because I'm not a uh, not good at this. Was there anything written about? the younger sibling or the abandoned sibling. Mm. And what often happens, what I see is into adulthood, the younger one is furious. No matter what the older one does, they're just furious. And the older one doesn't understand why you're so angry at me. You're angry at me all the time. And the, the, the younger one will come up with all kinds of things. And maybe even that you were bossy. That may be part of it. But what has come out for me is the abandonment. Forget the violent home, even a good home. Brothers and sisters who loved each other, really close. One goes into elementary school before the other. That's the first step of abandonment. But they still may be close because they're still in elementary school and preschool. But then when they get to high school, one gets to high school first, 
And if it hasn't happened, if the abandonment has, hasn't happened when one gets to high school and leaves the other behind, it almost always will happen when one leaves and goes off to after high school, college work or whatever, and leaves the other behind. There's no words for the younger one to understand, to explain to the younger one what, what did, what was wrong? Um, there was just the sense of, I am, I'm angry that you left me. I loved you and you left me. Mm. And when I began hearing this over and over and over again, and that's what happened, Navid, so much of this I kept hearing over and over and over again. I said, there's patterns here. All siblings are different. All families are different, but they're, I'm hearing some very familiar patterns over and over again. And so I wanted to capture them. Yeah, I appreciate that. And just I want to just name and appreciate the ways that your story captures or your work is just kind of threading th stories of love and connection and the challenges of all that in your work. So thank you for sharing some of this work with us and some of your time with me today. Just as we wrap up here, do you mind just sharing the name of your book again so folks that might be interested in it can go search it? Certainly. It's Sibling Therapy, The Ghosts from Childhood That Haunt Your Clients' Love and Work. Beautiful. I'll be checking it out, and I encourage folks listening to do so. Thank you again for being here with us, Karen. Appreciate Thank it. Thank you. I've enjoyed talking with you. You are great, by the way. <laughs> Thank you so much. It means a lot to me.